0: Our gospel reading this morning is indeed Luke 24, 36 through 49, and can be found in your pew Bible on page 1644. Luke 24, 36 through 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, And said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see. That I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the gospel of the Lord praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in that sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Last week, we heard from the Gospel of John about the locked room on that first Easter. John's Gospel account tells us about Jesus setting aside some of his disciples to be apostles and as we learned last week and and many already knew apostles mean the sent ones, the ones sent. He also told how Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into these apostles and he gave them authority to administer his forgiveness. Throughout this gospel account, we heard about the peace and the gentleness of Jesus as he rekindles and strengthened the faith of his disciples. The gospel that we just heard from Luke tells us some of the other things That happened when Jesus appeared to those disciples in the locked room. The account in Luke gives us additional details that are concerning the nature of Jesus' risen body. It reveals that it really is a flesh and a blood body and not some ghostly apparition or specter or hallucination. The account in Luke also gives us important guidelines. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you. It gives us guidelines to help us understand the Bible, and it gives us guidelines to help us proclaim The Gospel. Today's Gospel begins soon after the Emmaus disciples arrive at the gathering. These are, as you will recall, the two disciples that had already encountered Jesus as they were walking the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And after their encounter with Jesus, they hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what they had seen and what they had heard. And we read that no sooner did they finish than Jesus himself appeared among the disciples. And this is where today's gospel picks up. The disciples were just kind of getting used to the idea that Jesus had risen from the dead. But still in their minds, the question is, what kind of resurrection was it? Was Jesus simply a spirit that had come back from the grave to haunt them in some way? Was this resurrection just a vision? Maybe this resurrection was just an extreme case of wishful thinking. Now when Jesus appeared, they didn't know what to make of what they saw. And our Lord's first concern, his first Order of business, you could say, was to show the disciples exactly what sort of resurrection it was. He said to them this, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Doubt arising in your hearts. He said, See my hands? See my feet? It is me, myself. Touch me and see. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus also ate some fish. And this is a further sign that the resurrection is a true bodily resurrection. This is important. Since Luke recorded these words and events for us, we also know that the resurrection of Jesus is flesh and blood, a resurrection. He is not just a spirit. He is not some sort of vision or hallucination. He is real flesh, and he has got real blood. He is a human being raised from the dead. I used to tell my children that Jesus was was and is God with skin on. Once Jesus established the true nature of his resurrection, he began to teach the disciples the things that they could not understand until he had, until they had witnessed him being crucified, died, and arisen. The bottom line is, in short, that that night, the empty tomb was not the only thing that was opened on that first Easter. Luke's account repeatedly tells us that Jesus opened the minds to understand the scriptures. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke to include these words. In the description of Jesus' teaching on the road to Emmaus, when he was talking to those two disciples, you'll recall, he asked them, why are you downcast? And they said, where have you been? You haven't heard? And Jesus, beginning, he said this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, prophets, Jesus interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then in today's gospel, Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, every jot and tittle in the Old Testament and in the Bible points to me. You've heard me say that. I didn't make it up, but every jot and tittle points to him. Now, one of the struggles that we have when discussing God's word with our culture, within our culture, is that our culture wants us to believe that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of meanings to the words of Holy Scripture. We often hear people say something like, well... That passage is open to interpretation. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record the very interpreting tool that Jesus gave to his disciples. And with this tool, we can filter out the false teachings that many people try to find in the Bible. Jesus showed his disciples how to find him in every passage of Scripture. He showed his disciples how to interpret everything from Genesis chapter 1 through the end of Malachi and find Christ on every page. The words of Jesus himself tell us that we have the true meaning of a passage of Scripture only when we find him in the passage. Again, every jot and tittle in the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus went on to use this very tool to teach the disciples about his mission in this world and his vision for the church. Let me pause here. But years ago, there was quite a movement in the secular world, in businesses, to write a mission and vision statement did any of you take part of that yeah mission and vision oh brother total quality iso 9000 all that stuff hey a better way of do- jesus put out here thousands of years ago, the mission and the vision of the church. Jesus said this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here is what he told his disciples that the Holy Scripture said that his mission to the world was this, to suffer. His mission was to suffer and then to rise on the third day. And then he said and he taught that the Holy Scripture's vision was for the church to to give the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. Throughout the world, Jesus fulfilled the mission of the Christ. He lived a perfect and sinless life so that you and I didn't have to, because we couldn't. Yet even though he was perfectly innocent, Jesus suffered a cruel death on the cross And then, as we read in today's gospel, he rose from the dead. And he has done all things well. He has earned the forgiveness of sins for each and every human being, no matter when or where they have lived. Now, Jesus has laid out his vision for the church, that is, to proclaim Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. Another way of saying it is Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we preach here. This is to be the work of the church in all times and all places. So, what then is the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins? I'm going to tell you, the proclamation of repentance has two parts. Two parts. The first part uses the law to sharpen the conscience so that the hearer begins to understand that the wrath of God that they deserve for their sin. And then the second part uses the gospel to show that God has provided a way. To satisfy his wrath through his son, Jesus Christ, crucified on that cross. The proclamation of repentance leads naturally to the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. And this is nothing other than the proclamation of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus, who he is. And what he did for you and for me. And that through the perfect life and the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's wrath is satisfied. And that our sins are gone. And Jesus has given us the very righteousness of God as a gift to take the place of our sins. And when God the Father looks on us, he does not see our sin. Instead, he sees the very holiness of his Son, Jesus Christ. Now let me stop here for a second. That first John reading this morning was pretty brutal. And I don't want anyone here to think that you were in that group that was being discussed. The ones that are damned, the ones that are devils, the ones that are not saved, you're not there, why? Because you're a baptized believer, child of the living God. Because what Jesus did for you, John was writing to those that are outside the faith, outside of the family. The ones that say, ah, it's open to interpretation. You're not in that. You are a child of God. And let me go back to this. In the Acts reading, it's very, very important what Peter did. In the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, verses 13 through 20, we have an example of the very thing of what it means to proclaim and use the law first as a bat, to whack the hearer, so that you know who you are compared to God and to know that you deserve his wrath. Peter did a wonderful dressing down. We hear the Holy Spirit use Peter absolutely bludgeon the consciousness and the conscience of his hearers. Hear it again. Peter said, The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied You denied Christ in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, you denied him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas. Remember him? Give us Barabbas to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Whew whose conscience would not be suffering after hearing these words? This wasn't long after the crucifixion. And after Peter proclaimed repentance, that is, after the law has torn them down, he made the transition to forgiveness with these words, repent, Therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, who is Jesus. Now here we see an example of an apostle, the sent one, an apostle of Jesus Christ following the instructions that he received from Christ himself. This is the vision of the Holy Scripture that Jesus made into the vision of the church for all the ages. He has instructed his church to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. And since this is the vision of Jesus, we should expect that everything that we do when we receive his divine service to us should somehow be related to the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name. Our words, whether sung or spoken, should make this proclamation. They prepare us for the proclamation, or they give thanks for the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Okay. The devil and this world, and even our sinful nature, our flesh, hates this proclamation. It is their goal to take us away from this proclamation. The world, the devil, and even our flesh will regularly try to substitute religious-sounding words or phrases for this proclamation. And Paul, in Scripture, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Don't like what you hear? Find another one that tells you what you want to hear. We're almost done. Truly, truly I say to you and all who can hear me now that the church must ignore the temptations of the world and continue to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. It's as simple as that. This is the vision of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in this fulfillment of his vision that Jesus has promised the coming of the Holy Spirit who creates the faith that receives God's gifts. It is through the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins that the Holy Spirit keeps us in faith so that the day will come when we will be risen from the dead and we will be given eternal life. It's just that simple and it's just that important. In the name of Jesus, amen.